You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Auntie Healy. My very special guest today is Gordon Tregold, a business transformation leader, executive coach, plus a renowned award-winning motivational speaker. His background is in turning around failing IT programs and leading transformation project teams of over a thousand people. Gordon has the unique ability to assess difficult situations, determine what could be done differently, and then create simple, easy to understand and implement solutions which deliver sustainable results fast. He is a writer and the author of three books, including Fast Four, Principles Every Business Needs to Achieve Success and Drive Results, which was a finalist for the Management Book of the Year Award. On a personal level, a few years ago, I reached out to Gordon when I was struggling to lead a finance transformation program within my own company. Gordon's mentorship, along with his book, Fast Four, as well as his online course, How to Become a Great Leader, was key in helping me to turn around my own performance. That's why I'm super excited for this interview. Gordon, welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you very much. And I, of all of the accolades, we were talking earlier about the Football World Cup. My greatest achievement, in my opinion, was when my book made the final five for the top management book in 2017. I actually edged out Alex Ferguson from that oh. top five. Leeds won Manchester United nil. We didn't win it. doesn't matter. I finished the head of Alex Ferguson, and for a Leeds fan, that is massive. Exactly. And for a lot of people, except for Manchester United fans, that will be massive as well. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant, Gordon. And so I know we've talked a lot, but I've never actually asked you, how did you develop your career from IT transformation into becoming a leadership expert, executive coach, and then award-winning speaker? The, the transformation for me happened was I was leading, I was leading transformational change projects, and a, a lot of the times when I when I started, you know, as I'm in a career, you start by managing a team of ten, then twenty, then fifty, da 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 da, and, and so on. And when you're leading teams of 10, 20, 50, your own two hands and your own technical capabilities can be the difference between success and failure. So a lot of the transformations I was leaning from the front, involving solutioning and then driving it over the line. And then as I got higher up the management chain and I was managing multiple projects, it then required me to, instead of leading from the front, develop the people who would lead from the front so that I could then support multiple initiatives. So to take that change, you know, to, to make that change from leading teams of 50 and 100 to leading three, 500 and 1,000, I had to transition from uh, technical skills to soft skills and leadership skills. And once I'd done that, um, that allowed me to, you know, really multiply the results I could achieve. Because if you've got five teams doing what you could do, you've now, you've now had five times the impact. And then I, I looked at that and I thought, okay, how can I take this to the next level? And the easiest way to do that was to actually become 
and leadership expert and then not be tied to one company and train more and more people and coach more and more uh, departments. So you know, one of the things I talk with people about is that what I'm really good at is getting the train on the right track. And once I, doing that, I would then be asked to drive the train. Um, but I don't want to do that. I just want to help put more trains on the right track and then leave other people to drive them. That was the transition. It got me starting to think about how did things work and, and then how could I share that in a way that would be accessible for others to then go on and do the same thing. And it's been a, it's been a great journey. And I, I would say to people, if you want to learn and understand something like leadership or management or anything, try teaching it. Because to teach something, your level of understanding has to be a lot greater than you thought it was because it, it takes more to explain than it does to just do. So it's been a, a great journey, great learning experience and uh, loved every step of it. Thanks, Gordon. That's a fascinating story and a great analogy um, with the train tracks. Mm-hmm. I'm going ha- to add that to my list of things to do for 2023. <laughs> Start teaching. The majority of projects fail because the train's on the wrong track. And what, what I'm really good at is getting the train on the right track. Once it's on the right track, anybody can drive it. It doesn't need me to drive it. It's a fairly straight business. But if the train's on the wrong track, it doesn't matter who's driving it, you're never going to get to where you want to be. In terms of digital transformation, there's some people who think that leadership is good, whereas management is not so good. And where do you think that line of thinking comes from? Um, uh, I think I think a lot of times we, we tend to think about good leadership and bad leadership, and we call it good leadership and bad management. Management is absolutely fundamental. You know, the, if we think of success as a coin, leadership is one side, management is the other. Leadership is about setting the vision, motivating the people, engaging the people. And then management is, it's all about the tracking, you know, the planning, the tracking of execution, and taking care of the day-to-day uh, issues that arise. So for me, management is absolutely fundamental. And people need to be skilled in both management and leadership. If you're only skilled in management, you're going to be great at maintaining the status quo. If you're only good in leadership, then you're going to set great visions that are never going to get delivered, or you're going to have to find somebody else to deliver to deliver on your part. Yeah. The sad thing is we always get management training, we rarely get leadership training. And when we do get leadership training, it's usually management training in disguise. I did a training course for a company about three weeks ago and I said, we're going to start with a simple exercise and we're going to split into two teams. One team we're going to define what a leadership activity is. And the other one, a management activity. And one of the people who was on the leadership uh, team said, this is a waste of time. Everybody knows the difference between leadership and management. And I said, okay, so let's just do it because it should be really quick. It, it should be five minutes instead of the 40 minutes I've got planned. And I said, so you go write down what leadership is. And he wrote it down. But now that's all management. So thank you <laughs> for proving my point that people think they know what leadership is, but actually it's just management in disguise. 
Yeah, and I see a lot of that as well on social media where you've got leader versus manager and then yeah. under the manager column, it's all bad leadership practices yeah. or negative leadership yeah. practices. And most managers know that you have to be a leader if you're, lead, if you're managing people as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about good leadership and bad leadership. It's not about leadership and management. They are, both, they are both good and both needed. It's about good and bad leadership and good and bad management. Thanks, Gordon. And then what's the biggest challenges you face when being asked to turn around a failing project? I mean, you're someone who's a very clear thinker and you get to the crux of the matter quite quickly. But how do you do that? What do you seek out when trying to address underlying problems in any project? So you talk, you mentioned my book Fast, and, and Fast was a book that I wrote. So just a little bit more background. You know, my my education is mathematics, and what I was really good at was data analysis and pattern recognition. So having done the turnaround work for a lot of time, I thought I asked myself, are there common repeating problems that are causing? initiatives to fail and what I found and this is the basis of my book Fast is that there are four real causes of failure a lack of focus we're not clear about what the goal and the objective is and it might also be that we just haven't communicated that down to our teams so they don't know it uh, so that's about the what it's about a lack of accountability it's about the who the people involved either don't feel accountable don't have the things they need to be accountable, don't know they're accountable. And then a lack of uh, simplicity, which is about the how. If people don't understand how we're going to be successful, why would they engage? And we have a tendency to overcomplicate. So it's a lack of simplicity. And then the last one is a lack of transparency, which is two things. It's about understanding what's involved and then tracking your progress through it. And I often talk about marathon running. And, you know, a lot of people tell me, oh, I couldn't run a marathon. But it's not about running a marathon. It's about training for six months, five days a week. If you can do that, you better run a marathon. So that's about knowing what that transparency into what's involved. Pregnancy takes nine months. If you try and do it in three, you're going to fail. And then tracking it. So... Whenever I go into organisations, those are the things I'm looking at. Are we clear about what the goal is? Have we got the right people involved? Do we understand? Tell me how we're going to be successful. And then what are we doing to uh, track and trace it? And it's usually one of those four or a combination of the things. Now, the question you asked me was a little bit different. What's the biggest challenge? Mm. And the biggest challenge is often that it's easy to find those things because I'm just looking at the what, the who, the how, and the where are we. So that's an easy process. But the, the challenge part is changing the mindset of the people. And I've just been working with a group of people where we've been looking at operational performance. And as far as they're concerned, their performance is great. But when you dig, it's awful. <laughs> There's a significant room for improvement. So the, the easy way you get the people into what I call the happy underachievable. And the hardest thing is that you know if you think of it as a quadrant diagram, happy, unhappy, underachieve, overachieve, you can't go from 
happy underachiever to happy achiever because you have to become unhappy in order to change. And the biggest challenge is to do that in a way that gets them unhappy with the situation. And if you're not careful, if I came up to you and said, hey, you're 30 kilos overweight, you need to go on a diet, you'd be unhappy, but you'd probably be unhappy with me. And, and now that puts me in a position where I can't lead you on that transition. Even if it's true, you know, because I've pissed you off. <laughs> it's about getting that balance right of being able to, you know, hold that mirror up to where they are and then showing them how we can get to where we need to be. And if you can get that balance right and you'll get people to change. And we were on a call with the global CIO and the department leader was working with was able to tell them that of the six months we've been looking at this, we reduced ticket resolution time from 55, 53 hours out of 19 hours, and we've reduced the number of tickets from 700 a month to 500, which was a 75% reduction in business impact, which is huge. And he said to me, are you happy about that? And I said, no. What I'm happy about is that everybody understands the reports, everybody understands where the problems are, and now they're looking for additional opportunities to drive it forward. Because that's a transformation. You know, just reducing it by 75% is good, but it's that transformation of mindset of the people involved that's going to allow this to be sustainable and create that culture of continuous improvement. So yeah, it's about people and changing their mindset and getting them upset without getting them upset at you. <laughs> wow, that's, I'm mind blown right now <laughs> because it is about motivating people. But how do you do that when probably the incentive isn't there? Maybe they're satisfied, so they're happy, but they're not producing and they're so, not aware. Yeah. So on a, on a personal level, we, my brother and sister, my son and daughter, and my daughter's partner, plus uh, two friends, came to Valencia at the weekend. You know, we'd have been spent to do the Valencia Marathon, and they had, none of them have been doing enough training. <laughs> and they were all worried. It's, it's an aggressive race. It's only five and a half hours before cut-off. London's seven hours. But Valencia, 23,000 people running it, they were all a bit nervous. And I said to them, what's the plan for the race? Because I'd been, I'd been injured and ill, so I'd had to pull out of it. I said, so what's your, what's your plan for finishing it? Please don't tell me. It's a <laughs> There has to be a plan. And they all looked at me like, we don't have one. And my brother was in the Marines and he's been training a lot. So I just texted my brother and I said, look, what I need you to do is, if you can get them to 30K in three and a half hours, that leaves them two hours in the last 12K, and you can almost walk that. And my brother was like, yep, yeah, I'll do that, which was, it was freeing for him, because he was going to try and run it in sub four hours, no chance. So this kind of relieved him of that burden and gave him the job. And everybody said to me, do you think that'll work? And I said, if you look at your average running times, you can get to 30k in three and a half hours. Yeah, you're right. And I said, and then you've got two hours to do 12k. Mm. And it was like, 
yeah, that'll work. And just that simple approach changed their mindset, and every single one of them finished it. Without a plan, without that right mindset, they were going into it, you know, very, as one of my friends, my, my sister's friends said, she, she was Debbie Downer. <laughs> wishing you know thinking about how far will i get before i quit and you know all of them finished it in under five and a half hours only just but it doesn't matter so it's a w on the board and you know this is what we need to do uh for leaders you know give people that plan show them how they can do it create that belief in themselves on the plan and once you do that if they want to do it boom, they'll go out and they'll do all of the hard work necessary. That's powerful. Seems simple, but simple isn't always easy. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. I have a simple plan to beat Mike Tyson. When the bell rings, <laughs> I rush across the ring and knock him out with one punch. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, definitely not, not only not easy, but probably highly unlikely. But a simple <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only plan that would work, because I'm not going to beat him on points over 15 rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe do a marathon running around him. <laughs> and well, it, it reminds me that Alexander the Great, when he fought, when they fought the Persian at the Battle of Guagamala, and they were outnumbered by something like between 20 to 50 to 1, they said, How are we going to win this? And he said, when you're fighting a bear, you have to stab it in the heart before it gets its arms around you. So as soon as this battle starts, we're all just going to charge at their king and, and see what happens. And you know, they, they ended up routing them, and, and they, they won a war. They won a battle where they were outnumbered twenty to between twenty and fifty to one. But it was just that simple plan: you're fighting a bear, stab it in the heart before it gets hold of you. Yeah. And it's something people can understand and believe. We need, you know, whether we can or we can't, we need to do this. This is our only option so we can commit to it. Makes sense. And a realistic plan, it, it gets you at least part of the way there. It gets people to engage. Yeah. You know, if, if, you, if you were to tell me, go out, and try and not Mike Tyson out with one punch in the first 10 seconds, I'd be thinking, you know what, okay, I'll give that a go. But if you were to tell me what you need to do is to just you know, keep your distance and jabbing and try and beat him on points, mm. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not a plan I'm going to engage in. And, and <laughs> you know, teams will quit. If they, if they cannot see a path to victory, yeah. they'll disengage and quit. But if they can see that, if they can see that path to victory, then they'll give it a shot. Critical, very critical. Thank you, Gordon. Going off topic a little bit, but it's a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I know you're a very big proponent of agile delivery methods. Yeah. And also, it's been growing in popularity in recent years to the point that it's now more or less mainstream, which I think is a great thing because it helps a lot of businesses understand the need for getting a result whatever that is and yeah. the urgency and being able to pivot once you have better information but um what are the common mistakes you see as organizations try to move from that traditional system of waterfall project delivery to a more agile structure and mindset 
So people think that Agile is a methodology. I think that's the, the biggest issue. And what they do is they put in place all of the procedures. But actually, Agile's a change of mindset, as you say. It's let, let's get, you know, let's deliver incrementally. And although people understand that, what Agile really is, it's about putting the decision making into the hands of the people on the front line. And the number one issue I see is where managers are reluctant to do that. Now, I am working with a team at the moment where the leaders in this, the scrum master and product owner, they want to tell me that they can't tell me how long it's going to take or how much it's going to cost. And that's, that's a factor of agile. No, it isn't. Because you're supposed to be creating a minimal viable product. So tell me how many sprints to get to that. I appreciate you might not be telling me the end of the world, but at least give us some visibility into it. But I think the number one issue is management's unwillingness to give up control and to come back and say, you've got 12 months to deliver this by agile. Well, that setting the timeline is not about what Agile is, it's about understanding that scope, creating the minimum viable product, then adding to it incrementally. And people work hard to get into management and leadership positions. So to now give up control, having worked all that time to get to it, is very, very difficult. And, and that's the number one disconnect that I see. Makes sense. And you can see that during the daily stand-ups, when I've been a scrum master, sometimes the managers will invariably join the meeting and then they'll interrupt the status updates, um, almost like taking over and setting the agenda, and then that kind of becomes difficult to manage. Yeah, it, you're almost going from a, a centralised command and control to a, a central command but delegated control. One of the principles is that the, the team decides what's in this release. Mm. Mm. You know, they set the delivery date, and again, whilst it, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but if I tell you, you have to deliver everything by Friday, that's my plan. And if you don't believe in it, you're not going to engage in it. By letting you determine what you'll deliver by Friday, you know, now it gives you some ownership and an opportunity to create a plan that you believe in. So, you know, if you tell me I can deliver three by Friday, the probability is I'm going to get three by Friday. If I say, no way, I absolutely need five, the probability is I'm still going to get three by Friday. <laughs> but, but you're pissed off and I'm pissed off. So, it, yeah, it's that. It's that. That's my number one disconnect with it. Yeah, that resonates deeply with me. I mean, sharing a personal story. I remember I delivered on one of my projects within time, within scope, and it didn't deliver the benefits that the um, the executive sponsor wanted. So then he was berating me about not being agile enough and that I should have pivoted. So I said, these are the dependencies. These are the constraints. This is the resources yeah. you gave me. How was I supposed to be more agile under those circumstances? There was this silence because it was a senior level meeting. Yeah. Normally I wouldn't push back, but I was backed in a corner. 
and there were a lot of people there and I felt like that if I didn't speak up I wouldn't get respect and I think I got respect after that but I didn't like doing that but um, it gave me the this idea that there's a tendency for leaders to almost blame it on like we've implemented this new framework you're not being agile enough because you haven't delivered what we were expecting you didn't pivot but if you don't give them the underlying tools and the resources to deliver or at least be able to pivot, then it becomes difficult. Do you see those sort of abuses? Yes, yeah, see that all the time. But there is a, a fine line to balance. I led a, a program where we had to migrate 75 VPNs, virtual private networks, and I know nothing about these. The fact that I was leader of this initiative, it was interesting given I had zero technical capability, and we had to do it in 25 days. And the team, so I said to the team, okay, so we need to do three a day. And they said, where do you get that from? I said, well, I, I divided 75 by 25. There's no way we can do three a day. I, I said, listen, we, this, is a, this is a contract. We have no choice. We've got to get it done in 25 days. So don't tell me why we can't do it. Now tell me what the resources are you need, and I will go and get them. And if we can get them, then I'll go back to the the exec sponsor and tell them you can't have this. But you know, when this was a an, a contract exit where we were trying to get out of it, so there was a a lot of push on that. But you know. Then we had to move the agile. We we didn't have a flexible time frame. We could be agile and flexible in in how we did it, and we ended up, you know, cutting a lot of corners in terms of documentation, so we can do three a day. We had two teams running in parallel, and the first team to finish would then do the second one, and we did a lot of things where they you know, looked at the critical path and said, okay, we'll just get a team that are writing the the steps we need, you know, so we'll have a team doing design and they'll try and get as much of the design to that and then we'll have an execution team which just give it to me, execute, 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 execute. So, yeah, I think I do see a lot of issues with it, but as I say, it's getting that balance right of delivery versus, you know, we used to talk before about analysis paralysis but you know there must be agile arthritis or something that we can come up with <laughs> where it, you know we, we, we become too agile and we never do you know we're on the verge of delivering something but nothing ever gets uh, delivered and we just got to get that we've got to get that balance right and one of the questions you asked me earlier but you know before we come on now was that that the importance of technical versus soft skills and you know, as leaders, we have to have some semblance of technical skills so that we can push our teams in the right direction. Now, I don't know anything about VPNs, but from a project, you know, I do have the the, the planning expert experience. Another, you you've got to do three a day <laughs> if you want to get them in twenty. You know, so you you kind of got to bring some you know some sanity. To, to what it is we're trying to do. And that does require a, a degree uh, of technical competence, maybe not necessarily in-depth experience, but you know, we do need to have some degree of technical competence. It can't just all be you know, soft skills. 
yeah and uh, in business maths is an invaluable skill to have at the end of the day if you do it right the numbers don't lie so thank you Gordon and actually I will come back to that question on <laughs> soft skills versus hard skills or should we say communication versus technical skills again well, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing because uh, with the VPN I asked I kept asking the team how are you going to do it they went oh yeah trust us we understand we know this inside that one okay so tell me step by step how will we do one I don't need to know all 75 talk me through how we're going to do one I went, yeah yeah we know that I went, no 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 talk me talk me through it and there's a there's a great quote from Einstein that says if you can't explain it to an eight-year-old you don't understand it so I actually forced them to explain it to me and, and just getting them to communicate in a way that I understood it and you've got to do that because if I don't understand it then I'm actually not in a position to help you I'm just a spectator now, I, I, and I want to participate. But getting them to communicate in a way that I can understand it actually help them understand it better, and yeah. also force them to, you know, if you can explain it to me it, uh, as a as a program manager, you then have to take what we've explained, what you shared, and explain it with the other team members so that everybody understands what it is we're trying to do, and then can contribute to either execution or improving the schedule so that technique you know in, in terms of soft skills and technical skills if you're technically gifted but you can't explain it to anybody that's going to be a limitation on your career communication is key that's a beautiful insight <laughs> completely agree and it's something that i unfortunately started understanding later in my career than i would have liked but it's <laughs> good that um you're you're sharing this because i think <laughs> But the challenge is, if you're only with other network experts, you're going to speak the same language to each other. So whilst you're communicating greatly with your team, when you want to make that move up to the next level or communicate to management, you can't talk to senior management about VPN migrations in the same way as you would another engineer. And, and, I, and I, I do feel that people need to be exposed earlier to learn that earlier. Because you, as I say, if you only ever sit and work with network engineers, you're going to feel your communication's great. You're not going to know that nobody outside that room has a clue what you're talking about. And I see <laughs> this when people come to present to a manager, when they're looking for funding and presenting, it's like, you, who are you talking to? What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you wonder if some of those executives are partially responsible because they may not know and they don't ask them, excuse me, can you explain VPNs in a way that I can understand? <laughs> well, yeah, but I think as well that there's that saying bullshit baffles brains. And I think sometimes we can be nervous about oh yeah you know, you're going to explain to me brain surgery now i don't know anything about that i can understand it it's not my job to understand it it's your job to explain it to me in a way that i can understand it and, and if and if you do that i will understand that doesn't mean i can go and do it but i will be able to understand it and i think people lack that confidence to ask that question and i remember probably 25 years ago now I was working with uh, Britannia Airways 
on their crew rostering system, which is a massively complex algorithm of what crew, what flight, how many stops do the planes make in order to drive efficiency. It's a, a hugely complex mathematical problem. And we were working with a, a company called Sabre that was originally part of American Airlines that split off and we were using their tool. And I was evaluating the next version. So I went to Fort Worth where their offices were and I was in a meeting with a lot of senior execs and I, I was the primary contact for Britannia. And I said, could you explain this to me? And the sales guy said to me, uh, well, I could, but unless you've got a degree in mathematics, this is just gonna be you know, way above your head. And I said, okay. And then he moved on, I went, what are you doing? He said, I'm moving on. I went, no, no, go back. I have a degree in mathematics. <laughs> this is what and I said. I have a degree in mathematics, so this is not going to be above my head. So please explain it to me. And he said, uh, "I don't, I don't understand it enough to explain it." And I thought, "Yeah, I, I, I knew that was the case." But you were, you were trying to make me feel small hmm. by, you know, by telling me it was above my head. And as I say, you just need to have that confidence that. Each, you know, if you know it well enough, you should be able to explain it to me in a way that I can understand it. And, I, you know, I, for me, it's a double-edged sword because I tell that to people all the time. But also, as somebody who wants to teach leadership, I'm now on the other side of that. <laughs> explain it to me. You know, explain it to people in a way that they can, they can, they can use it as well. And I see how powerful that is. And, yeah, we, we just have to have that courage to ask, explain it to me. Yeah. Talk me through that in a way I can understand. That's brilliant. And I think it almost answers the question I'm going to ask anyway. Again, coming back to the balance between hard and soft skills. And I guess for people just starting out in their career, looking to get into digital transformation, is there a right strategy or approach to balancing out should people in their, their early career focus on the hard skills, the technical aspects, before then developing soft skills, or is there a blend of the two? I guess it's also dependent on what sort of role they have, but with AI being prevalent, do you really need to understand coding or libraries to actually explain how the AI works? Or uh, Again, sorry, I'm, I'm, going, I'm using AI, but there's lots yeah. of technologies as well. To what extent do you need to really be a deep expert on them versus being able to communicate that understanding so that you can um, you can interact with other people across the business and explain what you're doing and how it adds value? Yeah, so I think I, I think the challenge for all of us is that uh, when we take our first job, we are just a pair of hands, and the hands do the technical work. So we are forced to, to start from a technical position. And then as we, as we move up the ranks, we, it, it blends until it flips and the soft skills become more important. But what I would say to people is definitely develop the technical skills, but also work on the soft skills in parallel because the soft skills are fundamental, not to, not to our profession, but to life. 
So soft skills, you know, knowing how to motivate, encourage, communicate, will help you with any girlfriend or boyfriend or <clears throat> whatever relationship you're going to have. They're going to be they're going to be fundamental to helping with your kids, your friends, and your family. And we we can we can learn and practice those, you know, outside of the professional, and then bring them in to the professional sphere. So I, I would definitely tell people to work on both of those, especially. I was doing a um, a workshop last Wednesday, and I just we were we were talking about people moving from a technical role into a business relationship management role, which is much more about communicating, understanding the business problems, and then communicating solutions rather than being technical. I said we're going to start this by doing coaching, and everybody said oh, I don't know how to coach, and I asked them, do you know what the the, the one and two most important skills are in coaching. They said, no, I said, number one, listening. And number two, asking questions. Well, we can all do that one. So we can all be coaches. But you've got to practice that listening. And, you know, five levels of listening. There's, there's waiting for people to stop talking so they'll just go and leave you alone. There's listening, there's listening to, you know, waiting for them to finish so you can respond. There's there's listening so you can answer the question. There's listening so that you understand what's being said and what's not being said. The strength and understanding. And then there's the that listening with understanding what's being said, you know, with with uh, with our head, ears and heart. Uh, where we hear what's being said and we also understand the emotions that are being felt at that same time because it gives us more context. Uh, and once we do that, that's gonna you know that's gonna help us. So uh, yeah, I would work on the soft skills. Uh, and just to give you an understanding of the the uh, you know the, the the benefits of listening when and asking questions. I was coaching somebody from one of the big five uh, consultancy firms, and he was doing a transition from a technical role into a more business development sales role. And he said to me, the problem is I can't sell. I was like, okay, why why can't you sell? And he said, I don't have the sales skills. Well, okay, what do you think are the top three sales skills? And he said, empathy. Problem solving and persistence. I was like, yeah, I would agree with that. What are your top three skills? And he said, I've got really good empathy. I've got good problem solving skills and I'm quite persistent. It's like, okay, but you can't sell. Why is that? And he said, I hate the products they're asking me to sell. I'm like, they hate the products they're asking me to sell. (laughs) It's not your inability to sell. It's what you're selling. That you don't like, and you know the, the you know that asking and you know listening and and asking probing questions are two fundamental soft skills that that will help us. And then that empathy of you know being able to comfort, support, provide recognition, positive feedback, or you know are all going to be very very um, helpful for us. I mean, listening listening builds trust. And generates respect, and it's a powerful tool. So yeah, I would develop your technical skills, but focus on the soft skills that'll help you in life. And at some point, 
it's those soft skills that will take you to the next level. And to that end, I'm going to do that. Stop listening <laughs> and asking questions, <laughs> which yeah. I guess I'm doing right now. But yeah, so, oh, I don't feel great now. Available, but I'll share this with you. These are the, uh, and I shared it with the team. These are the uh, top five or six coaching questions you can ask. And I'll um I'll add the link in the show notes as well for the listeners. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, well, oh, was it slide two? Yeah, so these are the these are the, the top some of the top coaching questions. Uh, number one is what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Mm. Because most people have a fear of failure. So by asking them what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail takes that away from them and prompts them to respond. Or, or what would you do if you had unlimited budget and resources and time? And that'll get them to start answering. And then you can work out, do we have those? Another great coaching question is, what else? Because, you know, we like the person there. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have the skills. Okay, so what else is going on? And what else? And we finally got to that, I don't like what I'm trying to sell. So (laughs) people are telling you, I can't do it because of this. Okay, and what else? And what else? Because people don't tend to tell you, the real reason at the first time, you know, they'll try and hide it behind something, especially if it's um, uncomfortable or a little bit embarrassing, they'll, you know, try and push it off. Uh, another great question is, why is this important to you? And the a lot of people ask, why is, why is this important? Which is a good question, but why is it important to you really anchors it with the individual. And then my favorite coaching question, when you ask somebody and they say, I don't know, is, but if you did know, what do you think the answer would be? And that's a real pattern interrupt. And people tend to say, uh, I don't know, uh, fish or, or whatever. Because again, they, they don't wanna, they're worried their answer's not correct, so they won't say anything. But, just about, but if you did know what it would be, and you get them to open up, or what's the real challenge here for you? You know, tell me why we, you know, what else is, what else is going on that's stopping us from doing this? Uh, another one of my favourite leadership questions is, uh, you know, as leaders when we're pushing people and we ask them to do something, if you're saying this, if you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? Because if you accept another job. There's a, only a finite amount of time. I want to know what it is you're saying no to, because actually that might have a higher priority. And I can say, you know what? Forget it. Focus on the one you were going to say no to. And then the last one is, do you have everything you need to be successful? That last one, I use that when you coach me the first time I was struggling and um, powerful, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, well, this one of the teams I've been working with, I I mentioned this on accountability. This is a great question. And the exec in charge of the team went, okay, we're stopping the meeting now, and I'm just going to go around and ask each of you, do you have what you need to be successful? But if you don't, I want to know, and let me fix it. And and what we got out of that, it was really interesting that his teams were struggling to perform because they didn't have things that he could actually give them if they'd only told him. 
But this is a nice like, way of asking, do, are you confident without putting yeah. them on the spot and making them yeah. feel unsafe? Yeah. Yeah, and then if you don't have anything you need, I'll, I'll look to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah, so the, for me, these are all soft skills, and there's nothing there that you couldn't start doing today, either at home with your any team you play in, any relationship, to you know to develop that skill and then use it uh, in a work capacity. Yeah, and not just as a coach, as you say, any leader looking to coach their teams, these are very powerful questions, no doubt. Yeah, and what's interesting is that you know quite a lot of time you know, when we ask that technical versus soft skills, you know, the number of times I've applied for jobs and people have said, oh, you don't have Oracle, and we're looking for an Oracle project manager. No, you're looking for a project manager. Uh, but they, they tend to feel that the technology is, and those technical skills are more important. But if you if you do this a lot and work, you know, work on a lot of projects, what you find is that there are some principles and there are, you know, project management techniques and things that once you learn them, they apply across all technologies. So I've delivered projects. You know, I, I delivered the one of the largest Azure migrations in Europe three years ago. I knew nothing about Azure. Mm. I, but my technical skills, you know, once you can make them a little bit technology agnostic, you know, we're asking, how are we going to do this? And you know that you've got to do analysis, design, build, and test. That's true of any technology, of any business sector, any market, any vertical. So we just need to find out what are those portable technical skills that we can apply in other areas. Because we've, we've got to be able to challenge our teams, and that does require a degree of technical competence, but not necessarily detailed understanding of a particular field. Yeah, there's always a first principle behind everything. Even yeah. in data analytics, you know, there's only a limited number of things you're going to use about 80 to 90% of the time you're going to be filtering, you're going to be summarizing, you're going to be joining tables, things so like that. So one of the things you, you talked about before was that AI, and I thought, oh my God, I need to, you know, AI is getting bigger, and I thought, I need to learn about AI. And I think it was, uh, I did an online course with Stanford University, which cost something like $19. Right. For a, an eight-week course with a professor at Stanford University. And I thought, okay, I'll do this. And it was, it was a great course. Tell you a little bit about programming, but you know, once I got into AI, I was like, this is just mathematics. This is about plotting curves so you can predict what the next number is. And, and one of the examples they had was if a 2,000 square foot house costs 200,000, and then a 3,000 square foot house costs 300,000, and a 4,000 square foot house costs 400,000. How much does a, a 2,500 square foot house cost? 250,000. <laughs> and, and that's all AI is. Yeah. It's making predictions based on the available data. Can you create a curve? And then can you just look at where that's going to be? I mean, I, I know that sounds bright and pretty simplistic, but actually 
that that's all that's all AI is. It's looking at patterns and trying to think what's the what's the next in the sequence or what would the answer be between these two data points. Do you think it's con convoluted because of too many evangelists who don't really understand AI promoting it and trying to sound intelligent? I I think that you know what we were talking about before. If the experts can't explain it to me in a way that I understand, then it then it remains a mystery. Now there could be a number of reasons for that. One, they don't understand it well enough to explain it to me. Two, they don't want to explain it to me because whilst ever you know they are the one-eyed man in the land of the blind, they are the king. And it makes it difficult to challenge them and it makes their expertise more valuable. So I think there's some of that going on. And plus it's mathematics and you know the majority of people I remember I was doing something with a uh, a women's group of entrepreneurs and I said I've got this great spreadsheet that you can use and as soon as I said that their eyes just glazed over oh my god <laughs> gonna have to do math sorry and I think there's that kind of you know people just ring you know, oh it's math it's math but no you know it's it's a lot more if people can explain the fundamentals to you then you can understand it while ever they're talking at you know low levels of detail, or they're talking about the the languages. What is it they use? Is it Python? Yeah. You know, a lot of these languages. It's yeah, it, it does you know it does allow us to demystify it and make us sound like we're we're much more valuable than we are. But it'd be a, but it's like you know we're, we were talking about the World Cup, the football commentators. They sound really knowledgeable. But basically, it's eleven guys against eleven guys, and one of them, one of them is trying to kick the ball into the goal more than the other team. It's very <laughs> complex, but we can talk about it in complex ways that make it difficult for non-experts to to understand. And you know, we a lot of leadership is about demystifying, demystifying making the information accessible to others. And the more people it's accessible to, the more people that can participate, the more hands you've got pushing the boulder up the hill, the more progress and impact we're going to make. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Gordon. That has been an amazing interview. And yeah, I, I have so many questions I'd love to ask you. But maybe if you would, um, sometime down the road, we'd definitely, I'd definitely love to have you for. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I'd love to because this sounds arrogant, but it's not meant to be. But a, a lot of times when I hear people talk, again, you know, the leadership, it can be spoken about in terms that make me sound really intelligent. And you go, "Wow, I didn't understand that. That guy must be a genius." And and, and that's not my. That's absolutely not. It's about making things accessible. So I'm more than happy to talk and share. And, you know, the more people we can elevate and, and, and share the skills with, you know, the more hands, uh, we, you know, we've, we've got doing this. And I think, you know, the um, my final comment on that technical versus soft skill is that um, part of what I do as a leader is, I try to find people that have the soft skills and teach them the technical skills of delivery. Mm. Because it's a lot easier to do that than to teach assholes 
soft skills. <laughs> so that's that's where my you know so that's what that's what my book Fast is about. It's about trying to give people with the soft skills delivery capability rather than trying to change people that have the delivery capability but zero soft skills uh, and create soft skills for them. Powerful. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to work with people. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need, we need both. We need both. And businesses will take delivery over soft skills because they know it'll get delivered. You might never want to work with that manager again, but they've got the delivery. It's the soft skills that make your delivery skills sustainable, repeatable, or put you in demand both with companies and also people wanting to work with you because it's a you know it's a pleasurable, albeit you know probably difficult transformation. But if it's pleasurable and difficult, people will come back and do it. If it's easy and unpleasant, people will shy away from that. So. You need both technical and soft skills. Thanks, Gordon. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with one last question, Gordon. Where can our listeners find and connect with you online? Yeah, uh, pretty simple. I'm the only Gordon Treadgold in the world. So Google Gordon Treadgold. You'll find articles I've written online. You'll find my website. You'll find my LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter page, and feel free to to reach out. I am highly approachable. And I can definitely vouch for that. <laughs> Gordon Tregold, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Foundations Executive Search, the cutting-edge IT search agency with a blend of experience and ethics, resulting in successful partnerships as well as career-making opportunities. So hire your next top performer or take your career to the next level with Foundations Executive Search. Contact us today to build a brighter future. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations. 